continue our series through Joshua. I'm really excited about this passage, but I can't tell you why until we get through it. So, Joshua 14, if you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat underneath or beside you or around you. Um, And Joshua is the Old Testament, so that's near the front side of the Bible. And it is in the book of Joshua. 14 is the large letters, and the small letters are the verses. And so we were going to do the whole chapter of Joshua 14. Now we're in church, and in church we talk about something, don't we? We talk about faith. What is faith? And I've heard some good definitions of faith, and I've heard some poor definitions of faith. So some definitions of faith that I have heard... And I want you to give me like a thumbs up if it's a good one and a thumbs down if it's a bad one. So faith is blind. Is that a good or a down? We've got a down thumbs. we got some down thumbs. All right, good. I'm glad you're on track. Faith is blind. That's not really a good definition. What about faith is? Um, faith is believing in something you can't see without any proof. That's kind of a hard one. That's pretty, That's a down one. Let's say a down. I know I'm tricking everybody. What about faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see? That's a Bible verse, right? But is that a definition or an explanation? I think we need to be careful how we distinguish between a definition and an explanation because that is what faith is. Faith is, but is that defining what faith is? So some good ones would be faith is trust, trusting in something or someone. Martin Luther's definition is, or one of his definitions, he has lots, is faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. I kind of like that definition because it talks about death and trust and a thousand times So let me just read it again. Faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. So if we think about faith in this way, let's look at how Caleb and his faith is bold. And we're going to look about bold faith. So so chapter 14 of Joshua, starting in verse 1. The Israelites received these portions that the priest Eleazar, Joshua, son of Nun, And the family heads of the Israelite tribes gave to them in the land of Canaan. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord commanded through Moses, for the nine and a half tribes, because Moses had given the inheritance to the two and a half tribes beyond the Jordan River. But he gave no inheritance among them to the Levites. The descendants of Joseph became two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. No portion of the land was given to the Levites except except cities to live in, along with pasture lands for their cattle and livestock. So the Israelites did not, or the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses, and they divided the land. Verse 6, the descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, you know what the Lord promised Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, but you and me, about you and me. Verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses the Lord's servant sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. 
On that day, Moses swore to me, the land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have, complete, have followed the Lord my God completely. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised, since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for daily tasks is now as it was then. Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day, because you heard then that the Anakim are there, as well as large fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and said to him, uh, gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kirith Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had rest from war. Let's pray. Father, as we study this text, help our faith to be fanned into a higher flame. Help us to be hungry for the truth. Lord, give us the anchors that will, will steady us in the storm. Father, when we talk about this faith, help us not treat it lightly, but as the true and living Word of God. Father, I pray that as we study this passage today, that the hearts and minds of those here would have their hearts enlarged. They would, they would, they would, they would hang on to the truth that you have given us. Father, we are so grateful that you have allowed us to meet in this place with air conditioning and comfort, and that we were able to have some baptisms this morning. Father, there are countries where this is not permitted, where this is not allowed. And so, Father, we pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ who are unable to meet, who are unable to gather, who are, who are taking this seriously, whereas sometimes we take it too lightly. God, give us focus. Help us to study your word today. Be with me as I proclaim the message you would have me give. Help me to speak only the words that you would have me speak. Father, we pray for all this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've been studying Joshua, and we've been doing a little bit of land details, haven't we? We've had a lot of inheritance talk. We've had discussions about the areas which God has given the Israelites. And now we come to almost like a break in the whole story. We have a, 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 a stopping point almost. And we have a, a message. And in this message, Caleb comes forward and asks something boldly. And verses 1 through 5 is almost a summary of everything that's happened before. And it's a, an introduction to what's going to happen in the future. So he says he, um, the Israelites received these portions. And what we have here is a, an insight into how Joshua is distributing the land. So Joshua is giving the land to the Israelites, each to their own, what belongs to everybody. And as he's doing it, he's doing it by lot. They're casting lots. And lots are um, almost kind of like a form of gambling back in the day, where they would gamble, they would throw out these, these colored things, and they would um, decide what, you know, what, what it would look like. Kind of like dice, like throwing dice in many ways. So he's, he's casting these lots out. And as he's casting out these lots, each tribe is getting a certain territory. 
So before this even happens, Joshua comes forward to claim his birthright. And this is where we start to see Caleb's bold faith. The first thing we see in verse 6 is the descendants of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what God promised Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barna about you and me. And so the first step, when we see faith, we see faith in action, is this boldness. Faith in action is boldness. So when you think about faith, this trust, this trust in, in who Christ is, the trust in who God is, there's a level of boldness. Now, this is not boldness in the sense that you're a jerk and no one likes you, right? This is not getting in people's face and yelling at them. This is a boldness in the sense that you are claiming your inheritance. You are focusing in on what your birthright is, what belongs to you. And so what we see with Joshua is that he is dedicated to getting the inheritance that God promised. And so he give me the inheritance that God promised me, that Moses, God through Moses, or Moses through God's uh, guidance, he promised me this land, this property, this territory. I'm 85 years old now. I've been fighting since 40 years old. Think about that for a minute. An 85-year-old man is like, hey, there's some giants up in these mountains, and I'm going to go take them out. And he is ready to take this land. He's not scared of fighting the Anakim, these giants, these really large men in four to five cities. Imagine yourself at 85 years old. Would you be ready to start a, a campaign, a battle campaign? Would you be ready to draw the sword and go to hand-to-hand combat with people twice your size and, ha- and half your age? That would, that's pretty bold, isn't it? And so Joshua's not saying, man, I'm too old for this. My kids are going to do it. He's like, no, I'm taking this. I'm going to take this land. And so what we see here is that faith in action is bold. There's a level of boldness. And we all kind of want that, don't we? We all like a bold leader. We all like bold action. But how many of you are bold in the small things? How many of you are bold when it counts, when it matters? How many of you are bold when maybe peer pressure is around you and they, the, the boys all want to go to um, the club and chase after ladies? Or the, all the girls want to get together and have um, you know, Mai Tais and, and complain night, right? And, and instead of actually being bold in your faith, you compromise on the small things. Or it could just be in your own family home. Instead of doing family worship, you, got, you decide, you know what, we'll just watch another Netflix episode. Instead of doing family prayer time, you'll just say, we'll just do it tomorrow night. In fact, that's a struggle for me over and over again this week. I want to pray with my wife, but I've already got my little earplugs in. I got my sleeping mask on. I've already gotten rolled up in my bed, and I don't want to turn over and grab my wife's hand and pray with her. Why is that? Do I not trust in the power of prayer? Do I not trust in who God is? Do I not trust in His Word? We have a tendency to have a weak and shallow faith, don't we? Because we always think, oh, it's the big things. If I was at 9-11, I would be one of those men storming the front doors of the, um, of, of the front of the fuselage, the, uh, the pilot's cabin. I would, have been, I would have been the first ones to try to take over those terrorists. No, you wouldn't. Because it's the small things. It's the small things that lead up to the big things. And many of us are, are, are saying, well, I'll be faithful in the big things, but not the small things. 
oh, I, I'll go to church, but I won't live my life as a Christian. Or I'll come to church and, and, and open my Bible and sing all these beautiful songs about my anchor and my hope and, and Christ alone, but then I live my life as if it doesn't matter. That's not bold faith. And that's not what we see in Caleb. Caleb is bold. In fact, he goes on, he says, as, um, verse 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the Lord's servant, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to scout the land, and I brought back an honest report. So, at 40 years old, he was willing not to submit to peer pressure. He was willing to be bold in his faith. But then in verse 8, it says, My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. Do you remember that story? Joshua sent out some scouts. I believe it was 12. Ten of them came back and said, Oh man, there's, it's, a, it's a nice land. There's milk and honey. It's delicious. It's wonderful. It's a great place. But there are giants. There's giants in those mountains. We can't do it. It's too much. We're weak. They're big. We're small. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. They, don't tr they didn't trust their God. They said, You know what? We don't, need it. We don't even need that land. I don't need that milk and honey. We're just going to stay over here and not go across. Whereas Caleb and Joshua, what did they say? We trust the Lord. Yeah, there's giants. Yeah, this, is, this land is flowing with milk and honey. But guess what? We can take it with God's help. And what happened was because of that rebellion, they went back into the wilderness for 40 years and everybody else died. And so all we have left is Joshua and Caleb of that wilderness generation. Bold faith, faith in action, is lonely. And remember what I said, it's, it's not lonely because you're a jerk and you pushed everybody away. It's lonely because you're standing for the truth and everyone else has compromised. So one thing to do is not look around and say, well, I'm all by myself, I'm lonely, so I must be, a, a, I must be the one standing for the truth. That's not exactly what I'm saying here. I don't want you to think that just because you're all by yourself, it's because you're standing for the truth. You could be on the wrong side of the mountain, right? So just be aware. But it is lonely. It is lonely when you say something that people don't like to hear. It is lonely when you open up God's word and you mention God's wrath, God's holiness, God's perfectness. It is lonely when you say certain things from Scripture. It can get lonely when you hold on to the truth. So remember, faith in action is lonely. It's bold, it's lonely, and it's also obedient. At the very end of verse 8, he says, But I followed the Lord my God completely. On that day Moses swore to me, The land where you have set foot will be an inheritance for you and your descendants forever, because you have followed the Lord my God completely. Faith in action is obedient. What does it mean to be obedient? We've spent a lot of time talking about incomplete obedience. We've spent a lot of time about delayed obedience. We've spent a long time about not following God completely. And instead of spending a lot more time talking about obedience, I want to jump to what causes us to be obedient, which is the anchor of our faith. So the first thing we saw was faith in action. Now we have faith is our anchor. And what are the anchors of our faith? Verse 10 as you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised, since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel was journeying in the wilderness. Here I am today, 85 years old. 
I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me out. My strength for battle and for my daily tasks is now as it was then. Think about that for a minute. He is sustained physically. And he says he trusts in the character of God. So the, the very first thing, the very first anchor we have is the faithfulness of God. God's character. He says, as you see, as you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as he promised. Caleb's bold faith does not come from experience alone. It doesn't come from just emotional highs or a connection with some spiritual realm. His boldness comes from what God promised. And what God promised, God's character, is shown in His Word. The very words He speaks. And so we have the second anchor is God's Word is the second anchor of Caleb's bold faith. Look at it here in our passage, verse 10. As you see, the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years as He promised, since the Lord spoke this Word to Moses. Do you see what his reliance is on? He's not relying on his own ability. He's not relying on his strength. Look, I mean, he's 85 years old, as strong as a 40-year-old man. Can you imagine how much bragging rights he would have at the uh, arm wrestling competition at night? Right? He could point to everyone and say, look how strong I am. That's why I'm going to win this battle against the giants. No, he said God promised this. In his word, he promises. So if you want bold faith, you have to trust in these anchor points. And these anchor points is God's character and God's word. We see it very clear in our passage. Because God spoke it, Caleb believed it. We live in a, in a society and a culture that speaks a lot of words to us, don't they? We have podcasts and radio shows and TV shows and songs, and everything is trying to tell us how to have a certain type of life, right? Every song you sing, about, you hear about love, you hear about how to have the right woman, the right man, you have the TV shows that tell you what detergent to buy, you have everything under the sun is being explained to you through words, through images, through actions. And the question you need to ask yourself is, if I want bold faith, do I trust in my experience and my own reason? Or do I trust in what God's word says? If you want bold faith like Caleb, then you need to trust in his word. You need to trust in what God said. If God is who he says he is, that's who you need to trust in. Do you trust him? Do you trust in his word? What makes you trust something more? Is it a casual acquaintance with someone? Would you trust someone that you met once or twice? But you have a good feeling about them. They're such nice people. I only met them for five minutes, but they're so kind. I could trust them with my inheritance. Oh, well, I met him yesterday, and, and he's a pastor. He's such a good guy. He's a pastor. I only, I only heard him speak from the pulpit, but I, and I don't know him, but I trust him. I'd give him my firstborn child. Don't give me your firstborn child. But we have this mentality where we trust things based on a feeling, don't we? And we tend to, to distrust things based on a feeling. And we like to think of that as discernment or insight. The reality is we have to real test everything with God's word and compare it to God's word. So don't trust in just fickle things like emotions. Don't trust in 
um, some emotional high that you get just because you sing a worship song one time a week. Trust in what God says. If He says it, it's true. It's based off of His character, who God is. And this is exactly who Caleb knows. Which leads to an acknowledgement. In verse 12, he says, Now give me this hill country the Lord promised me on that day. Because you heard then that the Anakim are there. Now remember the Anakim were these giants, these large men. Now when we think about giants, I know many of you are thinking of like really big people, like 20, 30 feet high and looking like mountains. These are like eight feet, seven to eight feet tall people. And if you're a five foot five Israelite, an eight foot person looks like a giant, okay? Just, just know. Some of y'all are really tall and I am really short and you guys look like giants to me. In fact, my boys really love Mr. Joe. Mr. Joe Casey is one of their best friends. Really big guy. And for them, at being like this little tiny, tiny people, he's a giant to them. And so anyways, giants, Anakim, they're huge. And if you're, if you're fighting with a sword and a hand-to-hand with someone very big, you know that strength matters. And so, I have another story, but we're not going to go there. As well as large fortified cities. You, perhaps. He threw a perhaps in there. Now, most of you should be thinking, well, wait a minute. What? Wait, is he waffling now? Is he scared of these Anakim who have a fortified city? I think what Joshua or what Caleb is doing here is he is acknowledging that God is in control. He is acknowledging that God is sovereign. And as he says, perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out as the Lord promised. He's not saying God's not going to do what he said he's going to do. What he's saying is, perhaps God will be with me in this. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to manipulate God into giving me what he said. He's not going to use God as a vending machine. How many of us have used God as a vending machine in our lives? How many of us have said, well, I'll go to church on Sunday, Father God, if you just give me this rent check that I need so desperately? Or how many of you have said, God, if you save me from this firefight, I'll go to church as often as I can. Uh, There's no atheists in foxholes kind of mentality. And we go to God as if it's like some kind of way to get some promise. Or God, you promised, you promised in your word this, why are you not giving it to me? How often do we try to treat God as some form of a vending machine. Caleb, who knows God intimately for 85 years, is not saying perhaps in, a, in the way that he's waffling, or he's not saying perhaps in that he wants to abuse God, but he's recognizing something. That God is in control. His timing is his timing. It's not our timing. And sometimes God gives us answers we don't like. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's not right now. Sometimes it's never. Sometimes not in this lifetime. And so often we think, if we just do this, if I just have bold enough faith, God will heal me. If I just have trust in this one pastor, he's going to bless me. Guys, that's that's a false religion. Those are idols. You have made your health and your wealth idols. You're not trusting in God to trust in God to get more of God to to trust in the the beauty of who God is and, and, and following Christ because of who Christ is, you're following because you want something. And who are you worshiping when you come to God because you want something? Yourself. And that's the mentality of most of a, most of modern day America. 
we want what we want when we want it. We want we want our our burger a certain way. We don't want any inconvenience in the drive-through. We want everything the way we want it at the time that we want it. And any inconvenience is a great sin against our autonomy, isn't it? So what we see here is that Caleb acknowledges that God is not a vending machine. He is not a slot machine that you put up your, your $3 of prayers and you crank the, the, the chain or the, what's the lever, you crank the lever and you get out a whole bunch of coins. He's saying, this is, not, this is not what he's saying. He's saying, I trust in God because of who God is. In fact, if you see this, perhaps, have you heard of these guys that were thrown into a fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Don't name your children that because that's just very homeschool. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fire pit. They were thrown in there. But before they were thrown in there, what did they say? They said, O king, God will save us from this fire. But if he does not know this, we are still not going to worship your gods. Think about that for a minute. It's not that they didn't trust in God. It's that they recognize that God is sovereign. God is in control. And so you also, in your faith journeys, your faith life, you need to recognize that God is in control and that your timing is not his timing. And he may not give you what you want just because you want it. In fact, you may be very inconvenienced in the time. And that's how you have bold faith. So I can step boldly up here with God's word and I can preach to you sermons knowing that God will save lives. But even if he doesn't, I am faithful. You recognize that. That's the way to have bold faith. So we have faith in action, which is bold, which is lonely, which is obedient. We have our anchors of faith, which is God's faithfulness, his character. And then we have the word of God. And then we have an acknowledgement. We acknowledge that God is sovereign. And finally, there's an anticipation. And this is where we're going to spend a little extra time. In verse, well, let's go ahead and read 13, which is still part of the acknowledgement. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and said, and gave him Hebron as an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron still belongs to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, as an inheritance today because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, completely. Hebron's name used to be Kirith Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. After this, the land had rest from war. So bold faith anticipates hope. It anticipates rest. 85 years old, storming the strongholds of the, of the giants. And as he goes up there, he unseats the greatest king that they had, the one that they named their biggest city after, Kirath Arba. And Arba was this great man among the giants. How great do you have to be to be a great man among a bunch of giants? Right? You have to be pretty great. And what does he do? He changes the name. It's not that anymore. He's like, it used to be called so-and-so, but he's gone. Now it belongs to God. Now it is Hebron. And they anticipate this rest from war. And we're going to learn a little bit more about Caleb, probably not this year, because we are almost done with our, this part of our Joshua series. But Caleb promises his firstborn daughter to whoever takes one of the strongholds. 
And the guy takes the strongholds, and then his daughter says, hey, give us this land with a well. And he gives them, gives as like a wedding gift, some extra land. And so Caleb takes this land, fighting battles at 85 years old. But what we see is there's rest. And this is what we as Christians long for. We long for rest. Now, many of you may have anchors in your life, strongholds in your life. There may be things that you have put your hope in. And so let's go ahead and explore some of these. Let's talk about health for a minute. In our society, being healthy is a wonderful thing, isn't it? In fact, it's so wonderful that it's a billion-dollar industry. And it's, it's one of those things that's constantly before our face. You must be doing that. And that's going to make you happy because health is, is, uh, is, your, is your wealth. And we have all these common sayings that come up from that. But what did COVID-19 show us about the idolatry that we have about health? Tomorrow's not promised. We've lost a lot of friends who had COVID and died. People are not promised tomorrow. So we can't rely on our health. That's an anchor that's already been cut loose. If we're a ship in a storm, so that's the first anchor. You can't rely on your health. Guess what? You could get sick tomorrow and die. It doesn't matter if you're obese. It doesn't matter if you're skinny. It doesn't matter if you're healthy. It comes to us all. We could all die tomorrow. The next thing, what about money? Everybody loves money. The government likes to give us money right now. Money, money, money. What did we learn about people not being able to work during COVID? Money wasn't so abundant, was it? Money isn't something you can necessarily rely on. Stock markets crash. You can lose whatever you invested. Money goes away. So that's the next anchor that's been cut loose. What about politics? That's our favorite. Everybody loves a good political conversation. I trust this guy. I trust that guy. And guess what? Every single one of them lets us down, doesn't it? In fact, our political system seems to be making things worse than making things better. Well, we can't trust in that. What about safety? Man, we got the best army in the world. Except we could pull out of a country with sheep herders. What does that mean? We can't trust in our military strength. When I was in the army, I was proud of my service. I am proud of my service. I'm proud of what I did on deployments. But if I put my identity in what I did, can you imagine how devastated I would be when we hand over the country that I, I spent my time in? Do you think how devastated I would be if all my identity was wrapped up in the deeds of the flesh? If your identity is wrapped up in who you are or what you do or you're anchored in any of these things like money and health and wealth, you're going to not have rest. One of the things we've been working with my son about is if you lie, you will be found out. And that's the thing about our anchors. They're going to get cut loose. Whatever you are trusting in that is not the Lord, it's going to get found out. You are not going to have this rest. And so Hebrews chapter 4 really breaks the rest of this out for us. And I love how Hebrews explains a lot of the Old Testament for clarity's sake. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, says it this way. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. 
For the person who has entered this rest, his rest, has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. And then 12 through 13, it talks about the word of God is living and effective. But then verse 14, it, it, it picks it up again. And it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession or hold fast to our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize or co-suffer with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. So where do you turn in your time of need? Do you turn to these earthly things? I mean, think about Caleb, 85 years old. That's, that's way past retirement time, right? He could have kicked back in his tent and rested, but he didn't. He continued forward. There may be a battle that you guys are experiencing against sin, against alcoholism, against mental health issues. I don't know what it is. But if you hope in the things of this world, you are going to fail. You're going to be miserable and you're going to continue to suffer. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ, the one who has done everything perfectly, the one who experienced all the temptations and trials of life. He was a red-blooded human being, a man. He experienced the same temptations that men experience, yet without sin the same testings, the same trials. He had a body that got tired and, st and didn't want maybe to, to do what he had to do, but he did it. In fact, he continued to be obedient when we wouldn't. So when we look at Caleb, we can look at Caleb as kind of an imperfect picture of who Christ is. And Christ suffered for us. He, he suffered as a human being, and then he died. And then we got to celebrate something cool, baptism and resurrection the coming out of the water, the coming out of the tomb. And he did not leave us there in our struggle, but came and joined us and carried us along. And that's what's important for you to remember today is where do you find your hope? Where's the anticipation of hope? How do you have bold faith? Well, it's trusting in who God is. It's trusting in his character. It's trusting in his word. And then we anticipate, we acknowledge the fact that Perhaps we are not sovereign, but God is sovereign. Perhaps we don't pray to get what we want, but to get more of God, who then gives us delight in Him. And so we need to focus in on the purpose of faith. So what is faith? Faith is trust. But it's not just trust in some genie in a bottle. It's not just trust in some spiritual realm, but it's trust in, the, in Jesus Christ that you and I learn about in Scripture. It's trust in the one who took on your sins and my sins. It's the one who is willing to go to death and die on a cross and exchange your filthy rags for his robes of purple. This is the trust that you need to have. So your challenge this week is to find someone who is trusting in something other than Jesus Christ and point them to Christ. That's your task this week. So it could be someone is talking a lot about 
um, how much money they're going to save in this investment scheme. Just mention to them, you know, that's, that's good. I appreciate that you desire for, for being financially solvent. But be aware that we can't put our hope in that. And just recognize that there are people in your neighborhood that are trusting in all the wrong things. And when another pandemic happens, when another conflict stirs up, when, when life goes poorly, when sorrow begins to overwhelm your heart, if you're trusting in the wrong thing, you won't have an anchor. So that's what we need to do today and tomorrow and this week is point to our ultimate hope. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. God, help us to anchor ourselves on the steady rock of Christ. Help us to cling to who Christ is. Help us to hold on to Christ alone, our only hope. God, there's so much in this world that, that seeks to be our, our sole focus. There's so much in this world that wants to pull us away from the sure and steady anchor of who Christ is. God, we know that life can feel overwhelming and that we can feel broken and destitute. But we have an inheritance, and that inheritance comes through Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that they would turn to you. They would cast away the hopes of this world, the, the hopes that, that this world puts their trust in, and they would turn to you and you alone. Father, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you personally as their Savior, that they would speak to someone today, that they would reach out and seek to know you for who you are, not for the benefits, but for the gift, the gift of who you are, not for the gift that you give. God, we thank you for the beautiful name of Jesus. We thank you for Christ, our Savior, our one true and steady hope in this confusing and chaotic world. God, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.